welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 41 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of April, 2010, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, Part 5, and the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, And chapter 5, we'll be taking our Scripture reading from there. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be reading verses 18 through 21. I invite you to stand with us this morning to honor the reading of God's Holy Word from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. The Word of God says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Father, we Thank you so much again, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity, privilege that we have today, Lord, to be gathered together here in your house. Lord, thank you for this place that has been set aside and dedicated to you and to your work, and we thank you for each and every one that is able to be with us this morning. And Father, for those that are not able to be here, we ask once again that your hand would be upon them. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, we Realize so fully that, Lord, without you, without your touch, without your anointing, then our next time here will be a waste of time. Father, we pray for your anointing this morning, Lord, that you would speak through your servant, that you would speak to each and every heart here, and Father, that some way, somehow, our lives might be changed through the power and the preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name, we pray, amen. Let me just say for uh, those that were not able to be there yesterday and to keep in mind in your prayers also that, uh, of course, we had a good outreach in the city center yesterday. Uh, there weren't a lot of us, but, uh, uh, but we were uh, uh, blessed with a, quite a few people uh, that the Lord gave us opportunities to be able to witness and talk to one-on-one. Uh, Some of them were already Christians. Some were Christians that were not walking with the Lord, and some were just agnostic and lost and and, and all kinds of different kinds of people uh, in different faiths. And uh, so we thank the Lord for those privileges. Pray for all the tracts that went out and for all the conversations that were had. This morning as we look into God's Word, if if you've not uh, been here, if you're new this morning, then we are continuing in a series that we began the first Sunday in April last year, so we've been there for just over a year. And of course, with a few special holiday Sundays that uh, we took our attention elsewhere, and with a few guest preachers, we're actually on sermon number 41 in this series of Contending for the Faith. And of course, we've moved into the area of Contending for the Faith of the fundamentals of the faith, what it is as we look into this this series of contending for faith, just what is it that we are to be fighting for? 
And that's what the fundamentals of the faith that we're looking at, as well as some things that are important for this faith, especially for the unity and oneness of heart of the local congregation. And as we continue looking today, we're into part number five on God the Holy Spirit. And today, God willing, as we uh, continue with this series, we have already, in looking at the Holy Spirit, we've covered some very important things. First of all, we looked at the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ himself made of sending the Holy Spirit and what he would do when he came. And then we looked at the person or the personality of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's not just some uh, power or substance or something that uh, uh, is there that uh, uh, somehow comes down and, and, and empowers us, but he is a person in his own right, a person in the Godhead, the Trinity of the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at a number of the purposes for why that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. And then Sunday before last, we began looking at the practice and we broke that down, and first of all, we looked at a practice that relates to conversion. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, we can't continue with a practice that relates not to conversion, but a practice that relates to control, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we said in the beginning that there is certainly, without any shadow of a doubt, a lot of confusion around the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, we further stated then when we begin looking at the practice of the Holy Spirit that probably no other doctrines of the Holy Spirit have experienced more confusion and misunderstanding than the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we've just looked in the last two sermons at the baptism of the Holy Spirit in what, as your pastor, I'm convinced is the clear teaching of Scripture concerning this matter. And today we want to turn our attention to the practice of the Holy Spirit, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now we said that the baptism relates to conversion and the filling relates to control. Though many would say differently. We have seen based solely upon the teachings of God's Word that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time experience that takes place in every true believer's life. The moment they're saved, the moment that they're born again, it is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that places them into the body of Christ for all of eternity. Now the feeling of the Holy Spirit is totally different and it's a completely different matter. But it's one that we will see is binding upon every child of God. I mean, if the other works of the Holy Spirit that we've discussed, particularly when we looked at the purposes for which Jesus himself promised to send us the Spirit, they're simply truths, spiritual facts to be accepted in the Christian life based upon God's Word, which can never lie. The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the life and work of the Christian, though, or more specifically, 
the work of God through the Spirit in the Christian's life. This is how that the Christian is empowered. Do that which is commanded by the Lord, but which would be completely and utterly impossible through our human strength alone. The power is not the release of some new physical energy, but spiritual power, God's power, operating within us as believers with the Holy Spirit as that very inner source. It's not automatic for every believer as the baptism is. And there are certainly some conditions that we'll see in a later sermon that apply. But we will see that it is not a one-time experience, but it should be a continual process in every Christian's life. The filling of the Holy Spirit is essential for the full maturity in any Christian. And without it, it would be utterly impossible to truly see the Lord's work accomplished in any of our lives. We cannot do it in our strength, in our power. We cannot accomplish the spiritual work that needs to take place in this world, yes, but in the lives of the individual human beings that make up this world. In our text today, I want you to notice in verse 18, the Word of God says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I want us to notice, first of all, this morning, the command to be filled. Our text is, in fact, a twofold command one negative, one positive. One negative says, Be not drunk. One positive, which says, Be filled. And he even tells us exactly, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, can you still be a Christian without being obedient to either, either one or both of these commands? Well, unlike, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not a child of God. You cannot. Become a child of God unless the Holy Spirit does that, that work in your life. And of course, we've already looked at some of those other things, uh, the conviction and the things that bring us to that point. But today, yes, I would have to admit that you can be a Christian without obeying either one or both of these commands. You can't be a happy Christian, and you can only be a disobedient Christian. You cannot avoid these commands and be obedient to our Lord. I want us to notice first a command with prohibition. Be not drunk. Be not drunk with wine. We're in his excess. Now, I've, I've seen, you've probably heard some too that tried to take and twist this verse around. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, trying to say that the excess is not having too much. In other words, it's okay to be drunk with wine as long as you don't go too far. That's not, 
That is, that is man taking and twisting and turning to, to make something that he wants to see, not what God has said to us. You see, this is a clear command of prohibition. The Word of God consistently and clearly, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, condemns drunkenness always. And it gives clear warning after warning against strong drink of any kind. I'm going to say, oh, preacher, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that. Well, you're entitled to disagree, but I want to give you a challenge this morning. You know, if you want to disagree with me, that's fine. But you don't want to disagree with God, okay? You know, he's the one that you want to be in agreement with. I would give you a challenge. Just take God's word and read everything that he says on this matter. Now, remember, we're not talking about whether you can be a Christian or not. We're talking about whether you can be an obedient, useful Christian in the Lord's hands whether you can have that, that joy, that peace, that fellowship that you need with Him. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Accepting that God cannot and will not, He cannot lie and He will not. He cannot and will not ever contradict Himself because that would be a lie. Forget about what your flesh might prefer that it says. <laughs> Forget about what all your friends might say. And consider carefully with the help of this Holy Spirit that we're talking about because He's the one that can guide you into all truth. See what God is saying and, and why He's saying it. Now remember, this command is being given to those who are already Christians. This is the church that he's writing to here at Ephesus. These people are already Christians, but it's our obedience that shows our love. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> That's simple. I'm not going to labor the point this morning, but you know, God has placed these two commands together here for some reason in the same verse. Now, what does one possibly have to do with the other? What can the command to not be drunk with wine have to do with being filled with the Holy Spirit? Why is this negative command of prohibition against drunkenness used right in conjunction with what I'm calling the positive command of potential? God is telling us something. What is it? He tells us, if you look very simply at the words that are given to us here, he tells us that to be drunk with wine is an excess. Be not drunk with wine, wherein? Wherein, in where? In being drunk with wine is an excess. Very clearly. What does it mean, excess? We just think of, well, having too much. Well, let me just give you a list. It's quite wonderful how descriptive this word is when you look back. The word that's translated excess here in your Bible, it literally means profligacy, riotous, recklessness, 
licentiousness, which is really the feeding of the flesh with sin, just living any way you want to, wastefulness, dissipation, debauchery, wickedness, sin. Do we get the idea of just what it is to be drunk with wine? God said to be drunk with wine. It's riotous, it's reckless, it's licentious, it's wasteful, it's debauchery, it's wickedness, it's sin. That's not hard to understand. This is a simple, consistent prohibition for the child of God, whether given on its own or whether it's given in conjunction with another command as it is here. It's not something that ought to be part of a person's life that is striving to be Christ-like. It's also reasonable to note that it was a very common practice in their days, which you can still find some of today if you look very hard. But it was a very common practice in the pagan worship of their days. For these drunken orgies, everybody would just get drunk out of their skulls and just, again, just let everything go. Nothing mattered. And they would carry out these ceremonies. Now, the church would have known about that. And this practice that they were practicing was supposed to be inducing some kind of ecstatic communion with their deities. Well, I say they were probably right because it was probably giving them that exact fellowship with Satan himself. You see, I said. This is certainly not the way that a Christian should be behaving. And it's not the way to have communion with the one and only true God. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, we've got the command with prohibition, which is be not drunk with wine. But we've got a command with potential, which is be filled with the Spirit. And again, clear, concise command that is given to the believer, people that are already saved. And we know from what we've seen that the believer already has the Spirit. We've seen already that it's only by the power of the Spirit that the believer has been convicted of his sin and converted from that sin. It's the Spirit that baptized him, that indwelt him, that, that sealed him, and all those other things we've seen. But now here, this same believer is being commanded to be filled. It is a command to do something. A command brings with it an action on the believer's part. We've been commanded to do something. We've been commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, it's interesting as you look here again, be filled. It's not just a once for all command as we have with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what is known as continuous action on the believer's part. Be filled. In the original Greek, literally, is a continuous action. It could literally be translated this way, be being filled. 
well, that just didn't sound, that doesn't sound real good English to, to put things that way. But that's what it's saying when it says be filled. It's be being filled or keep on being filled if you would. It's not an action to take place once. It's not something that's to take place just intermittently now and again. It is to take place continually. It is an action that is to begin and just go on and on and on and on and on. It should be a continual thing in our lives to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We find certainly in applying it to the filling of the Holy Spirit, we find that it's exemplified very clearly for us in the, in the book of, of, of Acts. We find that in Acts chapter 2, a very familiar passage to each and every one, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And of course, you can read on. <laughs> Miraculous thing. Peter actually stood up and he said that there, there were Jews there, devout men out of every nation on earth. All these different nationalities and all these different languages, if you would. And yet, when Peter spoke, every one of them heard in his own language, in his own tongue, what he was saying and, and understood what he was saying. But this we know. I mean, again, it's, it's not our focus today. Some would say that this was where the church began, and I'm not going to fight with them. over. I believe this is where the church was empowered. I believe it began with Jesus Christ himself and his apostles when he chose them and he's built that church. It was on the day of Pentecost that it was empowered with the Holy Spirit. We find that if you look over just a few chapters in Acts chapter 4, we find that again here in Acts chapter 4, we find that Peter and John have gone off and got themselves in trouble. They've been preaching the truth. <laughs> Miraculous things have been happening. Well, a lot of people don't like that. So they're brought before the Sanhedrin, you know, those, those really wise religious leaders. Literally, they're, they're, they're priests and elders of their days. <laughs> and they're brought before these and Basically, when it's all done, they can't deny what's been taking place. So what they do instead, they can't deny it. They command them not to do anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, they go back. And the Bible tells us in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Who's their own company? The other Christians. We've just seen, I mean, you know, what God is doing here is miraculous from the day of Pentecost on. Now, notice that they go back and they're telling the other believers what's taking place. 
Then notice in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. You see, they were filled in Acts chapter 2. But they're filled again. And you'll find if you look, as you look through the book of Acts, you'll find that this is something that's repeated over and over again, the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what gave them their power. That's what gave them their, their boldness, both in preaching and being able to stand up for those that were out to destroy them. Now, I'll tell you very honestly, and you've heard me say it before, it's not wise to build a doctrine solely or primarily on the book of Acts because it is a transitional book from the Old Testament to the New Testament church. As God was moving from using the nation of, of Israel as his primary instrument, his primary tool to accomplish his work here on earth to using the church. Where you're sitting here this morning, we find that we're not building a doctrine here, though. But what I'm wanting you to see is rather using it as an illustration to confirm, to support a doctrine that is taught in the epistles to the church. And so we find that here, this is that idea. It's something that continually had to take place within the church. It was a process that went on and on and on. Surely, there can be no question whatsoever that as a believer, as a child of God, as someone that's already a Christian, we are commanded, first of all, not to be drunk with wine. Secondly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that moves us on to our second point here. And that's not just the command to be filled, but the control of those that are filled. If we're going to be obedient, and we're going to be filled with the Spirit, just exactly what does it mean? What does it mean to be filled? To be filled can be confusing sometimes because particularly if there are those that don't already have a clear understanding, a sound foundation concerning those other things that we've already learned about the Holy Spirit. In fact, a lot of the confusion over the practice of the Holy Spirit and the matters of baptism and the filling of the Spirit are a direct result of not already being grounded in the, the promise and the person and the purposes that we've already looked at in God's Word. Now, when we think of filling something, what do we normally think of? We think of some kind of a material substance like, like, like water, for example. I mean, if I, if I talk about filling this cup with water, I mean, the natural thing is, you know, we, we think about that, that water going in there and, and filling it up. And then emptying it out again. But we have, we have this, this is the thing, you know, just like, you know, I, all too often, I have to make a stop at this place called the petrol station. Matter of fact, if you look at the names above most of their doors, their official names are usually filling stations. <laughs> Why? 
because it's where we go and we take this liquid substance called petrol and we fill up the tanks on our cars. And these are the kind of things that we do day in and, and day out. And so naturally we think of those things. But we've got to remember always the Holy Spirit is not a liquid. <laughs> He's not a substance like that of any kind. He is a person. And that makes it very different. It makes a huge difference when we talk about filling something with him. You see, you can't break him up into having a bit of it now and a bit of it later. <laughs> you can't break him up into having part of him and then getting some more of him later. May I say to you that to understand, we need to understand that to be filled is to be controlled. Now, it's interesting here. If you go and do a little bit of a study again, the Greek lexicon says concerning the word that's translated here as be filled, being filled in, in, in our Bible, it says what holy takes possession of. What holy takes possession of something. In other words, when one thing fills another, it is wholly taking possession of that which is being filled. There's no room left. He wholly takes possession of that. They use the illustration. What wholly takes possession of the mind is said to fill the mind. Now, same word is used back in Luke chapter 5, verse 26. And there is speaking of the people after seeing Christ heal the paralytic. And the Bible says they were filled with fear. What does it mean? It means that fear had taken possession of them. Fear had taken control of them, of their emotions. You see, the picture here is one of the Holy Spirit feeling, taking possession, controlling the very being of the believer. See, rather than focusing upon taking bits and pouring it and filling it up, it's the fact that what's in there has control of all of that space. You can't put anything else in there unless you get rid of it. That water has taken possession of that glass. It controls all of it now. That's when the Holy Spirit fills us. It's Him wholly taking possession of us taking control of us. Now, does that maybe flip on another little light up there that, ah, oh, being filled with the Spirit, being contrasted with being drunk with wine? Wow. You see, the wine with a strong drink, to some degree, will take possession of, or control of the one that's drinking it. Oh, it starts out very small. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm sure you've heard the excuse. I hope you haven't used it lately. <laughs> oh, it just relaxes me a bit. <laughs> I'm not going to get crazy. It just, just relaxes me. Well, if it weren't taking some kind of possession, some kind of control, some part of you, you wouldn't be feeling any difference. So it wouldn't do absolutely anything for you. So if you just kept drinking it and drinking it and drinking it, there'd be absolutely no results. I don't care if it's just relaxing me a little bit. 
The fact is the only reason you're feeling a difference is because it's taking possession or control of you in some way. Even one drink makes a difference. The more that you fill your body with it, the more it'll take control of you. No matter what you say or do. It's a simple, straightforward fact of life. No one, no one can pour that strong drink into their bodies and it not have an effect because it'll begin to control as it possesses you. You begin to feel differently. You begin to act differently. You begin to speak differently. Does that, has anybody ever seen anybody that kept drinking strong drink that didn't do all those things, that would say things and say things in a different way and do things that they would never, ever have done if they were sober-minded? Why? Something else has taken control of at least some part of their being, of their body. It's not good to give control over to something that has more power than you that you have no control over unless that which you're giving that power over to is the God that created you and the only one that you can truly, wholly, 100% trust no matter what in all of this world. You see, it's about surrendering control. You've heard me say before, the Holy Spirit, because of being a person, it is not a matter, and there's so much, be careful the songs that you sing. Be careful the things sometimes that we we think sounds good and people mean them with the best of benefit. The truth is, you can't get more of the Holy Spirit. He can only get more of you. It's not a question. If you're a child of God, He, the Holy Spirit of God, lives and dwells within you, and that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was all about. But there needs to be a continuous action in your life of being filled, of being controlled, of being possessed by Him, not ourselves, and not anything else. It's a matter of how much He has of us. To be filled is to be controlled. But it's actually a bit step further. To be filled, I mean to be completely filled, is to be completely controlled. You remember what we said? What wholly takes possession? The being filled here is speaking of something holy taking possession. To be Holy, totally filled with the Holy Spirit is to be wholly, totally controlled by Him. I give you this as an illustration. If you're a child of God today, you know the Holy Spirit lives within you. Do you treat Him like a temporary guest or a permanent resident? <laughs> you know, there's a big difference. We see it all around us. I mean, have you ever went and stayed in somebody else's home? Anybody here ever not stayed in somebody else's home? <laughs> well, when you go in as a guest in somebody else's home, do you go in and start 
redecorating and moving all their furniture around and changing the clothes from this room to that room. Do you do that when you're a guest in somebody's home? I should think not. You probably won't be a guest very long if you do. Well, what about if somebody came to your house as a guest and you were gracious and you were going to give them somewhere to sleep for tonight and, and so you, you, know, you, you pointed out the bed that they could have and this is a place that they could sleep and yet the next thing you know, they've been moved all the whole house around. They've taken over this room and that room and they've, they've taken over your house. You think you'd react good to that? But what happens if you sell your house? You release all claims to it. That same person moves in because they bought it. They purchased it. They take control of it. Do they have the right to decorate it? Do they, right, do they have the right to throw out anything they want to throw out and bring in anything they want to bring in? Do they have the right to organize it any way they want to organize it? You see, the problem is, though we talk about being saved and him being there forever. Most of our lives, he's treated like a, a temporary guest. <laughs> we tell him where he can go, what he can do, but we're still in control. What the Bible's talking about, the command to be filled with the Spirit is to give him whole, total, complete control. You give up the deed and title. <laughs> You give it up to him. You've been bought with a price. You let him have complete control of your life. There's so many things, so many little things that we don't even realize many times. We just, we just want to hang on to. We want to keep control of. We don't like being out of control. You see, we truly show our complete confidence in him when we just turn over everything to him. We trust him with everything, every area. There's no area of our life that we don't trust him with. But there's another truth that ought to be noted here. That's just this, this, this is a word of action. It's a verb, in other words, in our English structure. Be filled. And he's given in the passive voice. You know what that means? It means that the subject of this verb, which just happens to be you since you're being given the command, the subject is being acted upon. The subject is not doing the action. It's not you that's doing the feeling. You're being acted upon and being filled with something outside of you, which is God himself. To be filled with the Spirit it's not for you to control the Spirit in your life, but for Him to control you. This is not a work of man. It's a work of God upon man. But preacher, you, you just said something about me having to do something, being an act of my will in giving everything up to Him. yes. You know what the only action that you have in this, Brother Steve? It's called submission. <laughs> Giving yourself over to him. To submit your will. To submit total control to him. He's the one that will do the work. You just got to be willing to submit. Being filled. Being controlled by the Spirit. 
Folks, it's not the result of our tears and our agonizing and all the asking in the world. Yes, you should want to be filled with the Spirit. We're acted upon by the Holy Spirit when we submit to Him, truly give it up, truly let go of it. And we'll look at some conditions and things later, but what I want you to grasp here today is that we've been commanded by God not to let other things have control of our lives and possess us, such as the strong drink, but to allow ourselves to be wholly, totally possessed and controlled by God himself through the Holy Spirit. You can't have it both ways. You can't have control yourself and give control to him. You can't give that control over to something else in this life or this world and at the same time give it to him. All we can do is give up and submit. The Holy Spirit, he's not that material substance that we can somehow maybe just Oh, I'll empty a bit of space out here and I'll let him fill that void that's there for now. Folks, we're to submit ourselves wholly to him that he might wholly fill us, that he might wholly control us. We're to surrender our whole being to him as a permanent resident. We give up all claims to it. He has total control over everything in every area of our life. You see, we're commanded to be filled. We're commanded to be wholly possessed, to be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. In fact, you're actually commanded here today. One of two commands is fitting and binding upon every human being in here today. You see, if you're sitting here, and I'm, I don't care what kind of religious background that you've had, I don't care what kind of ceremonies that you've been through. If you've never humbled yourself before a holy God as a sinner, and if you've never repented and turned from that sin and sought forgiveness through the one, the only one, Jesus Christ himself, that died on the cross to pay for those sins, that rose the third day to be victorious over it, if you've never done that in your life, all the religion and all the churches and all the things in the world will do nothing for you. You see, in essence, you have been commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul, he went to Athens and he stood there upon Mars Hill and he was preaching. And he was going through and he was talking about, you know, all their, their, their sin and the things they were. And he came in this verse 30 of Acts chapter 17 and he said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands. You see, if you don't become a Christian today, if you leave here lost and not ready to face God, it'll be against the command of the Holy God in your life because He has commanded you to repent. He doesn't want you to face the consequences of your sin. 
But if you choose to disobey him, the wages of sin is death. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Truth is, you're here today. God's done everything for you. God has done it all. Your sins have been paid for. But you don't just get there by accident, by coincidence, by doing your religious bits. You'll humble yourself and you'll admit that you're a sinner and you'll ask for his mercy upon your life. Oh, he wants to forgive you. But you've got to go to him and you've got to admit. The Bible says you've got to confess those sins if you want to be forgiven for them. For every Christian here today, God says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Can I ask you today, not to make you feel bad, but that your Christian life might be something more than you've possibly ever even imagined it could be. Maybe you know that you're saved. You know that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know that you're part of the body of Christ. But I'm asking you today, have you given up the deed, the title? Have you given it all up? Let him take possession. He commands you. Be filled with the Spirit. Be possessed. Be wholly possessed. Wholly controlled by the Spirit of God. That is a continual action in your life of you submitting to God. Submitting to him. Just letting him do his will in the way that he wants to in your life. You see, you can go to heaven without that. I'd be lying to you if I told you to differ. You can go to heaven without that. You can be a disobedient Christian if you want to. God didn't make you a computer. You have a choice. They were talking about sin today. You know, nobody has to sin. Every sin we commit is by choice. Every sin. God doesn't write it in the concrete that you will do this sin. Now, there's an awful lot of things there, your own depravity, your own flesh that you deal with. There's a lot of things to deal with. What I'm saying is the devil made me do it. It's just a bold-faced lie. The devil never made you do anything. He may have tempted you, but you made the choice. I made the choice. We all make the choice. Today, I'm asking you, Christian, have you made the choice to really, really be filled with the Holy Spirit, to give him whole, total control of your life? Father, we thank you today as we have looked into your word, and Lord, we know that there's so much that could be said about so many of these things. We've, we've tried to look at this one simple verse today and tried to break it down and understand exactly what it is you're saying to us. Lord, even there, even within one verse of just a few words, there's so much for us. Lord, I pray that by the power of that Spirit that you might speak to each and every heart here today. Lord, I don't doubt that there's somebody here today. They've never experienced that first practice of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're not part of the body of Christ today because, Lord, they've never humbled themselves, admitted their sin, sought forgiveness based on Jesus Christ's finished work in his death, burial, and resurrection.
We've never done that. Therefore, all the best intentions in the world, Lord, you're the one that told Nicodemus, Lord, if he wanted to see the kingdom of God, then he must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I pray that you would work in the hearts of those here today that have never truly been saved. Help them to see it, to know it. Father, I pray. I pray that even this day, they might be willing to give up on self, humble themselves before you, and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, for every Christian here today, I pray, Lord, that through this simple verse in your word, that you can use it to help each one grasp a bit more of what you've commanded of us here. Lord, if your work is to be accomplished, it's only going to be accomplished because you're in control. It's only going to be accomplished because of your power, not our own. Lord, we don't have the power to, to do a spiritual work. Father, we need you to do that through us. There may be some here today that maybe, Lord, they just need to kneel and alter. And maybe there's some area they just need to give up on. They need to be wholly, totally filled, possessed, controlled by the Spirit of God, that their lives can truly be used for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.